Well, Father in heaven, what more of a fitting declaration could we give as we come under the authority of your word right now? What other declaration of our love for you and of your greatest worth in our lives than to say, hallowed be thy name. Glorify your name, not ours, right now. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, Father. Our kingdom go. Your ways, not ours. Your words, not ours. Your will, not ours. Your strength, not ours. Your glory, not ours. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. Say what you want to say to build it for your glory. I pray right now, just as you say in Isaiah 66 too, you say, this is the one, this is the person, this is the church, this is the family to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And I pray you would look upon Hope Ottawa today and see a people humble, contrite, and trembling at your word. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all truth, our comforter, our advocate, our helper, our guide. Oh, Holy Spirit, do this today, I pray. Bring clarity and power and unction. Guard my mouth from error and say what needs to be said to the church today. In Jesus Christ, get all the glory. Be exalted among the nations as we are still and know that you are God. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, it's so good to be back in God's word together. Let's go ahead and do just that. Let's open up to John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. John 15, 9 to 17. Here we are moving on in our next message in our series, the gospel of John. Well, spring is here. Praise the Lord. I mean, I might be going a little bit out on a limb, but I'm going to think there's not going to be a snowstorm anytime soon. So we're going to, I'm going to say that spring is here. Do you like the spring? I really like the spring. Some of the things I like about spring, like the weather. It is like, you can't argue with the weather. So good. It's like the sky just seems bluer in the spring. And then you get like the, the leaves and the trees. You see all this green coming up and then, and then the flowers and the new life that's coming up out of the ground and you're going on walks and you just you can literally smell the roses and the tulips and the lilacs and all this stuff. And I just love that about spring. But there's something that I like the most about spring. You know what it is? The fruit. You like the fruit? Spring season is fruit season. I mean, don't, don't you agree? It's just like you bite into the fruit. It just tastes so juicy. Like think about peaches, right? You bite into peaches and they're so juicy. They taste so much better in the spring. Or how about, how about pears? You bite into a pear and the juice is in your mouth and oh, so good. Or how about cherries? The cherry trees start to come out and then there's all those cherry blossoms and then the cherry juice and mm, so good. Spring season is fruit season. Now, I'm not like a botanist by any means. Like I'm not some flower expert or plant expert. I'm not like an orchard expert at all, a fruit expert. I mean, I like to eat the stuff a lot, but I'm no expert on fruit. But here's what I do know. The proof that a tree is a peach tree is that it produces peaches, right? Okay, play this game with me, ready? The proof that a tree is a pear tree 
is that it produces, say it, pears. Great, get in the hang of it. Let's do it one more time. The proof that a tree is a cherry tree is that it produces cherries. Yes. But you know what? Also, Jesus uses this metaphor to talk about our spiritual lives. When you talk about bearing spiritual fruit. Let's check out John 15, 8, where we left off last week. John 15, 8, Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you, what? Bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You notice what he said right there, without a shadow of a doubt, it is this, the proof that one is a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ, is that they will bear spiritual fruit, for him, for his glory. How do they do this? Right? Well, look at John 15. Go back up a few verses, key verses right here. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. No fruit, no true disciple. And just as the spring is loaded with fruit, fruit season is spring season, we pray that this would be the season for spiritual fruit as well. Amen? In and through us for the glory of Jesus Christ. But if we are to see that, then Jesus commands us, we need to abide. What does abide mean? We need to be crystal clear on this. You'll see it on the screen from last week. Abiding means to remain and to continue to be present. It means to maintain an unbroken, that means unhindered because of sin, fellowship with Jesus in a daily personal relationship. Not just five minutes, but bringing him into every part, every moment of your day. Through the word, through prayer, through worship, through obedience, right? We abide in him. And we looked at that last week. Go ahead and listen to last week's message if you need a recap on that. Crucial. That is the heart of discipleship right there. And the truth we see here from this text is this. It's our big idea today we're going to unpack. Jesus is the true vine, and you will bear fruit as you abide in him. That's good news for us today. I'll say it again. Jesus is the true vine, and you will bear fruit as you abide in him. But here's a crucial question that we need to answer. What does a life abiding in Jesus look like, like practically, day to day? And with that, what fruit is increasingly produced from the life? that is abiding in Jesus? What spiritual fruit comes out? You see, these are crucial questions. Why? Because there's a problem. We often will misunderstand what it truly means to abide in Jesus and what true spiritual fruit looks like. And instead of coming back to and grounding ourselves in the truth of what Jesus said, it is, we will gravitate, gravitate towards believing man's ideas, man's opinions, man's efforts of what true abiding and true fruitfulness is. It's a problem that we're seeing all over the place. And what's the result of this? 
man's ideas of fruitfulness minimize and distort the true beauty of Christ's power at work in us. And what are some fruits of man's efforts? Well, instead of increasing joy, there's increasing anxiety and fear, increasing discouragement. Instead of sacrificial love increasing, there's increasing selfishness and consumerism. Instead of increasing fruitfulness, birthed by the Spirit for the glory of God, there's increasing fruitlessness on mission as we adhere to man's standards and man's idea of what fruitfulness should be. But here's good news. Here in our text today, Jesus tells us what it truly means to abide in him. Amen? What it truly means to abide in him. And he describes the promised fruit, the promised fruit that he produces in us for God's glory as we do. Such a crucial text today. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word and we're going to dive in. John chapter 15, 9 to 17. Let's read together. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Hear the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here is that the life abiding in Jesus is a life of increasing joy through obedience. There's your first fruit, joy. Increasing joy through obedience. And the question that comes out of the first section of the text is this. As you abide in Jesus, you have joy in Jesus. Are you walking in obedience? Are you walking in obedience? Let's get our context. Here we are. It's the Thursday night of the Passover week. Jesus is just hours away from his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And he and the disciples, they've been in the upper room, and they're about to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember in 1431, he said, Arise, let's go. They're getting ready to go. And now Jesus... In the first part of 15, he has just given the command to abide in him. If they are to live faithfully and fruitfully, no matter what comes against them, they must abide in the true vine, which is him. And now, here in this section of the text, he expands on what that means and focuses on the fruit that is coming from that. So let's read verses 9 to 11. See, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. There's the command again. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, circle the word if there, that's key. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
may be full. You see, Jesus begins by reminding them of his great love for them. What a comfort right there. And notice how Jesus loves his disciples and you and I as his disciples today, if we are saved in him, is the same as the love the Father has for him. Awesome! The same as the Father has for him. And from this, he commands them that they must abide in his love. Here's what he's saying by this. He's commanding them and us today to remain in unhindered fellowship with him so that we continue to experience his love for us moment by moment, a continuing experience and dwelling in the love of Christ for us. What does that look like? His grace, his comfort, his peace, his joy, his strength, his wisdom, his purity, his holiness, his freedom from the power of sin, all marks of his love. And he says, abide in my love. And how do we do this? How do we do this? He tells us in verse 10, if we keep his commands, that means if we watch over them, if we guard them, if we obey them in his power, just as he, notice this, just as he modeled for us. Jesus is not asking us to do something he didn't do perfectly. Just as he modeled for us and he kept his father's commands perfectly. Now we need some clarity here. Uh, this doesn't mean that Jesus stops loving us when we sin. Jesus said, you know, if you abide in my love, if you obey, if I don't obey, I stop loving you. No, no, no. Jesus isn't saying if we are truly saved in him, he doesn't stop loving us when we sin. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? But what it means is we stop dwelling in his love for us. Why? Because we choose where sin always takes us to dwell in it, in fear, in anxiety, in despair, in stress, in grumbling. That's where unbelief always takes us. See, and what's the fruit that Jesus promises as we abide in him? What is it? Just look at verse 11. Joy. Anyone needing joy today? Man, we've got to fight for joy today, don't we? And Jesus says, here's how you live in my joy. His joy in us and our joy full. Circle the word full there uh, in verse 11. That means filled to capacity. If you picture a mug filling up a glass of water and it's pouring in, you're filling it to capacity. That's what Jesus promises. As we abide in his love and walk in obedience, we will be filled with his joy. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean, if you're a true follower of Christ here, it doesn't mean trials won't come. It doesn't mean suffering won't come. It doesn't mean our days are going to be filled with laughter upon laughter upon laughter all the time. It doesn't mean every day will be easy. But the word joy there, write this down, it means to increasingly delight. It's an increasing delight, increasing awareness and recognition of God's grace to us. 
There's a delight in God's grace. There's an awareness of, oh, it's the grace of God who's ministering to me right now as I follow him and he strengthens me. He gives me his peace in the midst of all these trials, in the midst of all this confusion. There's joy. That is the grace of God towards me and it leads to an increasing satisfaction in him regardless of our circumstance. So when people look at you and they're freaking out and they see you and they're like, tell us about the hope that you profess. That's abiding in his love. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Right here in the middle of COVID-19 too. Filled to capacity. You see, notice what Jesus does. Jesus shares his joy with us. If, notice verse 10, I told you to circle it. If we share his obedience by his power in us. Jesus shares his joy with us. The joy that he had in the Father. If we share in his obedience by following the word of God by his power in us. And not, see, here's the beautiful thing. Obedience, when you might think of it, you're like, oh, okay, I gotta obey. It's not some drudgery action. It becomes increasingly a delight. You see, The call to abide, loved ones, is the call to joy. The call to abide is the call to joy. Obedience, we must understand, is not the limitation of joy, but the facilitation of joy. Obedience is not the limitation of joy. It is the facilitation of joy. And we need to understand this crystal clear today. If we are to abide in the love of Jesus Christ, That every time we say no to Christ, we say no to true joy. Every time you and I say no to Jesus Christ and choose our sin over our Savior, we say no to true joy in that moment. No to true joy. Every time we sin, every time we refuse to humble ourselves and refuse to repent, every time we Continue to walk in pride. We say no to Christ. We say no to true joy. Because as we abide in his love, our joy is full. And to abide in his love, we must keep his commandments by his power. See, this is completely radical from the world. Wouldn't you say, loved ones? It's completely radical. This world says obedience is the opposite of finding true joy. What do you mean your limitations and true freedom is not found in obedience. True joy is not going to be found in obedience. True joy is found, this world says, in what you want to do. True joy is found doing things when you want to do them. True joy is found in no limits. That's true freedom, not in obedience. You do what you want. True joy is found in your independence and your control over life. That's what this world says, right? But look at what Jesus says right here. It turns it all on its head. And he says, our greatest joy is found through obedience, not independence. Our greatest joy is found through obedience, humble submission to God's word in his power, moment by moment, not in our independence. Obedience is the path to joy. Obedience to Christ is the path to joy.
What a radical truth. And C.S. Lewis, I love how he put this and illustrated this. He said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Think about that. Infinite, filled to capacity, the source of which is never running dry, sharing in the joy of Jesus Christ as we share in his obedience. Look at this. Infinite joy offered to us. But like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. As you abide in Jesus, you have joy in Jesus. Are you following him? Are you following him? Living in obedience, moment by moment. Where are you living in disobedience right now and you need to repent of where you're not keeping his commandments, where you're not abiding in his love for you, where you are making mud pies to try to find joy in any place that's not him. How about this? Where do you need to repent in your attitudes? Your attitudes, negativity, cynicism, grumbling, complaining, gossip, slander, accusation. What about in your marriage? Where are you not abiding in his love together? How about in your eating? Are we just stuffing ourselves or in gluttonous and lack of self-control or are we stewarding our bodies for the glory of God? What about in our entertainment choices? Are we abiding in his love? Would those choices that we see on the screens in front of us show that we're abiding in his love? How about in our teachability? When a loving brother or sister comes and says, I see this going on, are we defensive and say, no, I don't think so? Or are we humbling ourselves as they go to God's word and be like, man, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And if you're not sure where this is for you, ask him. Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See where the offensive ways are in me and lead me in the path everlasting. Ask him, and then ask him for the strength to follow him, and he will give it. See, the life abiding in Jesus is a life of increasing joy. Say, restore unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. That is the prayer God will bless because the life abiding in Jesus is a life of increasing joy through obedience. And as an overflow of this, it is a life of increasing love through sacrifice, increasing love through sacrifice. You see, as you abide in Jesus, you love like Jesus. I love this. As you abide in Jesus, you love like Jesus. Are you loving as he loved you? Look at verses 12 to 15. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. See, Jesus then restates to the disciples and states to us today the new commandment that he gave them back in John 13, verse 34, if you remember, that they must love one another as he has loved them. They are to imitate them. Jesus set the model. He obeyed his father's commands perfectly. And now we are to follow his example and his power and love as he loves. See, they're in Increasing love for God as they abide in him overflows into an increasing love for one another. All right? Now, really important, we come back to this. What does Jesus mean when he says love here? The Greek word is agapao. And recall, it means choosing to do what God prefers into the life of another. Speaking how God prefers you to speak. Thinking how God prefers you to think. Acting how God prefers you to act. It's choosing his desires and obeying them in his power. As Jesus has done for us perfectly. Now let's be clear on something. What he says here, we can't miss it. Jesus is stating right here again that he is our standard for how we are to love one another. Everyone say, Jesus is the standard. That's right. Jesus is the standard. You see, and, and the one another's, remember, these are specifically speaking to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church, regardless, regardless of their views, other brothers and sisters' views on masking or vaccines or government decisions. Listen, we are to love one another as Jesus has loved us, regardless of race, regardless of uh, socioeconomic status, we are to love one another as he has loved us. And again, hear this. We're not, Jesus isn't saying here, we're not to love non-believers. We don't, we're not to love the lost. He's not saying that, but he's saying that we are to love one another more. Why? Remember John 13, 35. He says, this is how the world will know you are my disciples. Not by your grumbling, not by your interrupting each other, not by accusing each other, not being selfish with one another, but laying your life down. And recall what we said earlier. You'll see it on the screen. If they don't see love, they don't see Jesus. They don't see Jesus. And then notice this. Verses 13 to 15 Jesus says the greatest expression of loving as he loved us, what is it? What's the greatest expression? Is to humbly lay down, circle lay down. It means to give up. Humbly lay down one's life for. The word for there means on behalf of. To lay down one's life on behalf of his friends as Jesus supremely did for us, even to the point of death on a cross. He's speaking of his crucifixion right here on our behalf. Now the word friends there, we need some clarity. What does it mean in verses 14 and 15? And who, who are his friends? What does he mean here? The term friend there, circle it, it means dearly loved one. There's a personal, intimate relationship with him. 
He's talking about true followers of Jesus Christ. See, every true follower, every true disciple is a friend of Jesus. Because Jesus, why? Has revealed the whole counsel of God. He has revealed his plan of salvation. And he has chosen them, as we are about to see in verse 16, he's chosen them to have their eyes opened to him by responding to his offer of salvation. See, they know his plan of salvation. They know God's plan of salvation comes through Jesus because by his power, he has opened their eyes to know the truth and respond to it. You see, and he uses the ancient analogy of masters and slaves. See, slaves didn't know their master's business. Okay, they, they weren't privy to their master's plans. And you see, as a result, the proof that they are his, notice, they follow him by obeying his commandments. Verse 14, go to the text. They follow him as proof, as fruit of them being his and bearing fruit for the glory. Now let's get some clarity on verse 14, because this can throw into a lot of confusion our hearts when we're trying to make sense of this. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, wait a sec, is Jesus saying that we have to earn salvation? That our good works somehow get to him and then we'll then we'll be saved in him because of our good works? No, 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 listen. Here, praise the Lord for the gospel, amen? The obedience Jesus is speaking of here when we obey him isn't what saves us. Your obedience, my obedience cannot save you or me. All right, the obedience isn't what saves us and makes us friends of Jesus. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 made this very clear. It says, for by grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, you are saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But here's what Jesus is saying that obedience to his commands is the evidence. It is the fruit of our friendship with Jesus, our salvation in him. Just like the peach tree produces peaches, those who are truly abiding in the vine will produce the fruit. There's an increasing delight to follow him. There's an increasing fruit bearing by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not for salvation, it's the evidence of salvation. And the supreme evidence or fruit is that our increasing is our increasing love for him and increasing sacrificial love as we lay our lives down for one another. The supreme example, laying down, giving up our lives for one another. And this is radical. Again, another major statement flies in the face of everything this world says. See, this world says, stand up, love yourself, exalt your name. Stand up, love yourself, exalt your name. Notice what Jesus says right here, lay down. Don't stand up, lay down. Lay down, love one another as I have loved you. And don't exalt your name, exalt my name. Jesus says, lay down your comfort. Lay down your time. Lay down your money. Lay down your possessions. Lay down your status. 
Lay down your reputation. Lay down your abilities. Lay down your preferences. And ultimately, lay down your life. There's what it means to love as he loved us. This world says consume. Consume. Pursue selfishness and greed. We wouldn't call it that, but that's exactly what's promoted. Selfishness and greed. Be served. You be served. But notice what Jesus says right here. Not selfishness, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Don't try to be served by others. Be serving others in my name. Radical. This world says your greatest love is yourself. The greatest person you could love is you. But Jesus says, right here, your greatest love is me. If you're a true follower of Christ, your greatest love is me. And you will love one another in my name. And as you do, the world will know that you are my disciples. And I will draw others to myself who will call on my name awesome, radical, the fruit, the spiritual fruit of the life abiding in Jesus. That's why it's completely impossible to do this without him. And if you're wondering what these expressions of love look like, I remind you, go back to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. We unpacked it a couple weeks back. Go ahead and listen to that message again. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Read through it and just meditate on that this week and ask the Lord to show you how you need to grow in these things. And it's been so beautiful over the course of this pandemic just to see this church, so many of you just laying down your lives for one another as God has given opportunity. Loved ones, what a gift. What a gift and evidence of the work of the Lord. Praise the Lord for his work. As you abide in Jesus, you love like Jesus. Are you loving as he loved you? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, hope you've seen this already. You see it again. You can't keep these commands on your own. You have no power. You cannot earn friendship with God. You cannot earn salvation with God through your works. And your first step to being saved in him, to being a friend of God, is to receive his free gift of salvation, to repent of your sin and confess him Confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believing that he gave his life for you. He laid down his life for you in the supreme example of love upon the cross. And paid the penalty for your sin. That if you surrender to him, you will receive forgiveness of sin and have eternal life in him. And be given, as you are attached to the true vine, be given the power to follow him. And today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He says, loved ones, stop striving. Stop striving to earn your way to me. Stop striving to earn my love for you. Come to me. Surrender to me. Confess to me. Repent. And I will forgive you. He loves you. Will you follow him? And if that's you making that decision today, I just want to encourage you right now. Just even push pause. You want to just get still before the Lord with that. But also email Hope Praise. Us as elders, we'd love to know how we can be coming alongside you and hook you up with some resources and other things to encourage you 
in your next steps of the walk with the Lord. It's a new day in Jesus. Amen. But brothers and sisters, here's our challenge. Who's your standard for how you're loving your other brothers and sisters in Christ? Who's your standard? You? The world? Their performance for you? What? You know? Are you loving as Jesus has loved you? Specifically, let's just drill down a little bit. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's to get our minds thinking about this. Specifically, who do you need to stop complaining about and start encouraging them as Jesus does you? Who do you need to stop grumbling about? Where you're not abiding in his love, you're not following in obedience, and certainly no different from the attitude of the world in its grumbling and complaining. Who do you need to stop complaining about? And start encouraging, as Jesus does. Who do you need to stop being selfish with? And start being generous, as Jesus is with you, out of his love. Who do you need to stop harboring unforgiveness towards? And forgive them, as Jesus has done for you. Who do you need to stop expecting them to serve you? And you need to take the initiative to lay your life down, your time down, your strength down, to reach out and serve them as Jesus took the initiative with you. Where? Let's just be honest before the Lord right now. See, this is the fruit of love through sacrifice that is increasingly evident in the life that is abiding in Jesus. Right here, here's the fruit. Here's the proof that we are his disciples. And you may say this, this is too hard. There's times when I say this too, this is too hard. But can I just encourage you with this, loved one? Jesus gave us the model for love in laying his life down for us. But through that, he also gave us the means he gave us the power to live this way by giving us his Holy Spirit alive at work inside of us. If you are saved, he lives in you and is ready to empower you with the fruit of love. Will you call on him? Will you call on him and say, Jesus, give me the strength to follow you right now? See, the life abiding in Jesus is a life of increasing joy through obedience and a life of increasing love through sacrifice. And it all leads to this, ready? This is a life of increasing fruit in mission. This is a life of increasing fruit in mission. See, the life that abides bears fruit that abides. That's good news today. The life that abides bears fruit that abides. Are you living on mission, loved one? Look at verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There it is again, so that we will love one another. See, here's the thing. Just in case the disciples are getting cocky, He's like, you're my friends. You're in on my business. It'd be so easy. And, and let's be honest, for you and I today, it'd be like, oh yeah, we're on Jesus' inner circle. He's chosen us. Yeah, right on. We're with us. Just in case they're getting cocky, Jesus brings them back down to earth right here. 
He says, um, you are called friends, not because you've somehow earned friendship with me based on your merit. Jesus reminds them that they didn't choose him. In his sovereignty, he chose them for salvation. And same with us today. If you are truly saved in Jesus Christ, or if you are going to be saved in Jesus Christ, it's not because you chose him. It's because he first chose you. Just look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. This is called the doctrine of election. It says there are none righteous. That means you can't earn your way to God, as Jesus says here. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away from him. If Jesus doesn't initiate, you and I aren't saved. That's the reality. And notice this. He says, I didn't just choose you. Notice what he says in the text, verse 16. He says, I appointed you. Appointed you. Circle the word appointed. It means this. I have commissioned you. I have set you apart for service under my authority. Under one's authority. See, notice this. Jesus gives the disciples and us today the mission. Here's the mission right here. To go under his authority and bear fruit in his power that abides. Notice the fruit that abides. That means not it's just going to be a splash in the pan and then it's going to dry up and wither. No, it means fruit that will remain. Spiritual fruit that lasts into eternity. Let us pray for that. Say, Lord, give us fruit that abides. Bear fruit that abides. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that when we stand before you on the day of evaluation, then we bring what's been done. It's not going to burn up as wood, hay, and straw, but it will be gold, silver, and precious stones that withstands to the end because it was done by your power at work in us for your glory. It's fruit that lasts into eternity. And he reminds them like he did in John 14, 13 to 15. And then again in John 15, 7, he reminds them that the primary means, look at this, the primary means for fruitfulness is what? Look at the text. Look at this. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. What's the primary means for fruitfulness? Prayer. Prayer in his name to the Father. He brings us back to prayer again. Recall, what does it mean to pray in his name? Loved ones, we've got to lock this in. Number one, it means we pray in his merit. Jesus just outlined, it's not on your merit that you can come to me. It's not on your merit that you can come to the Father or ask anything. He says, it's because of my merit. And so that should be a posture. When we approach him in prayer, that should lead us to a posture of humility and brokenness and reverence and dependency upon him and yet in confidence because of the blood of Jesus over us on our behalf. So praying in Jesus' name means praying with his merit, but it also means praying for his purpose. And what's the purpose? For God's glory. Hallowed be thy name. I just love how Cliff sang that before the sermon started. It was so good to get our hearts ready for that. Hallowed be thy name for your glory, not my own. Your kingdom come, my kingdom go. So praying his merit, praying for his purpose, and then praying Jesus' will. What's Jesus' will? His word. The word of God. Bibles open. Scripture fed. Spirit led prayer. Praying God's word in proper context 
for his glory. And hey, here's good news. We get to practice this together as a church. Upcoming prayer night, June 16th. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Lock it in. If you haven't emailed Hope Praise yet for the registration link, do so today. That's going to be a great night. And so what is the fruit then? He says, if you're if you're to pray for fruit that abides, he's commissioned, chosen, and commissioned us to go bear fruit that abides. What a fruit is he talking about? How do we know? Well, in scripture, we see three kinds of abiding fruit. Three kinds. All right? And the first one, as we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, the first one is godly attitudes. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. Right? All of these things. Spend time with that. These are godly attitudes that are cultivated by the power of the Holy Spirit that will abide. Are we growing in these things? Next, so there's godly attitudes, but there's also righteous behaviors. Philippians 1.11, this is the overflow of godly attitudes in our lives. Holiness, righteousness, purity, walking in obedience, and increasing delight in abiding in God and walking in obedience. That's the overflow of a godly attitude, right? So abiding fruit, godly attitudes, righteous behaviors, and then as we see alluded to here as well from Jesus, new believers. New disciples, Matthew 9, 36 to 30, or 37 to 38, Jesus says this. He says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. See that? Don't pray casually. Pray earnestly. The means to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. New disciples. See, what Jesus calls them to right here in the text is what he calls us to as a church. It's our very mission statement. Fulfill the Great Commission. Fulfill the Great Commission to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Look at Matthew 28, 19 to 20. I love that we are so committed to this as a church. Praise the Lord. It says that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. See, same words, that you would go and bear fruit. Here he says, go therefore, go across the street, go across the classroom, go across in the grocery store, go in, in the park, go in your workplace, go on your sports team. And here, as we are sitting at home right now and kind of limited in our social interactions, go through text messages, go through phone calls, go through FaceTimes, and what? Make disciples. Those increasingly following me in belief and practice. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe. What does that mean? To obey. Teach them to abide. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Abiding in my love. Growing with increasing delight and joy in me. And behold, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. See that? There's the promise of power. There's the promise of provision. I am with you always because it's the promise of his presence. Amen? Awesome. See, this is the promise Jesus gives that the prayers for this abiding fruit, true disciple making in us and through us, bearing fruit that lasts to eternity, these are the prayers that the Father will joyfully answer in his time and in his way. 
the prayers for abiding fruit, he will answer always in his time and in his way. See, the life that abides bears fruit that abides. But here's the question, loved ones. Are you living on mission? Are you living on mission? Not for yourself, but the Lord's mission for you. Loved one, let's be clear on this. Being a disciple means making disciples. Being a disciple means making disciples. See, Jesus didn't just choose you so you can sit around playing it safe until heaven. He didn't choose you. He didn't choose me for that. He chose you, but notice the text. He appointed you to grow as a disciple, to grow and then to go. Grow in your godly attitudes, grow in righteousness by his power at work with us, and then go. Go as a disciple in his name, making disciples that bear fruit for his glory as you abide in him with an increasing joy through obedience and increasing delight in him and increasing love through sacrifice. And all that overflows to increasing fruit in mission. You see, this is what true fruit looks like. Right there. Back to the top, what we started off with in the intro today. This is what true fruit looks like. From a life that abide that is abiding in Jesus. So clear. And I want to leave us with this quote from missionary C.T. Studd. I've been so challenged by it. I pray you will be as well. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, will abide. Say it again. Only one life will soon be passed. It's over real quick. And only what's done for Christ will last. Hey, loved one, will you abide? Will you go? Jesus Christ, thank you for this beautiful text. Thank you that it is clear what the life abiding in you looks like, what true spiritual fruit looks like. No matter what this world says fruit should look like, you tell us an increasing joy, an increasing love, an increasing abiding fruit on mission for you. Lord, would you help us to abide? Would you help us? Would you keep us? Would you hold us? Would you strengthen us? Would you prune us to see more and more spiritual fruit for your glory by your power at work in us? And I pray today that we would be so encouraged that you have not left us to our own on this, that you live inside of us and that you are ready to help us in our time of need. And Father, I pray we would be a church that is increasingly aware of what it means to abide in your love and that our joy would be deepening and increasingly full in you as our greatest treasure. May it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name, all glory, all honor, all praise, all power be unto your name. Loved ones, will you stand and respond in worship?